Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Song of Solomon, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like to begin by asking you a question. What is the greatest piece of advice you've ever received when it comes to love, dating, or marriage? Now, as much as I would like you to answer honestly, if I put it out there to all of you, there is a little bit of a risk based on what your answers might be. So before I put it out to you, give you a moment to think, let me give you some examples from the Song of Solomon. Solomon, as we know, as we've heard previously, was told by God to ask for anything, and it would be given to him. Solomon, who was a new king at the time, asked for wisdom and discernment in being king. And God gladly gave that to him. And in the Song of Solomon, we have this back and forth song between him and his bride. I mean, there are some things that maybe we can take as good advice from Solomon here, a little bit of his wisdom. Something like, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. There is a time and a place for love and marriage. Or how about, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So there's two here. The first is that that love can be strong, like a burning fire that water cannot put it out. The second is, maybe you could say that love is too valuable to be bought. Or as the famous insects once said, money can't buy me love. Okay, now I'll put it to you. That was the Beatles, by the way, in case you didn't get that. Okay, what is the greatest piece of advice that you've ever received when it comes to love, dating, or marriage? Nobody wants to say, huh? Marry a Christian. What? Go slow. Go slow. Don't forget your friends. <laughs> Wait till you're 35. <laughs> That's all? And you know, okay. All right, okay, I'll head back. You know, I was, I was actually trying to think about the, the greatest piece of advice that I have ever received, and honestly, I couldn't come up with anything. So whether it was, you know, anything that I had ever been told about love, dating, or marriage just wasn't good, right? And so if that's true, sorry to those who ever had a conversation with me about it. Or whatever advice was given, I just can't remember it. So whether it was good or not— and so that's, you know, that's more on my memory. Well, then sorry again, because it wasn't good enough for it to stick in my mind. Often, we think about those conversations usually coming from our parents, right? You know, whether it was something like, marry a Christian, go slow, don't forget your friends, wait until you're 35, don't have sex until you're married. Maybe it was, Remember, God is watching you. 
right? Maybe you were given the words of Paul to the unmarried and the widows. I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So to all of you single people in the room, you're doing just fine. It's okay to be where you are. Now, some of you may want to marry, and that desire is okay. As Paul goes on to say, But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, if you are single, it's better to marry than to continually sin. Right? As Paul spoke of sexual immorality a few verses prior, since sex outside of marriage is a sin, Therefore, it's good to have a spouse so that you're not sinning in that way continually. Granted, we also know that Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. So, I mean, even in marriage, you can still commit adultery. Just because you marry doesn't mean that you're going to stop sinning. And obviously, you want to marry for the right reasons, not just so that you will stop sinning. I mean, I'm not sure how well that conversation would go. I mean, if you think about the traditional way many of you maybe experienced it, right? Where the, the man goes and asks the woman's father for her hand in marriage, right? And then the father says, so why do you want to marry my daughter? And then you would say, so that I stop sinning. <laughs> Probably not going to go over very well. Maybe a little more difficult to receive that blessing from the Father, right, with that answer. So a better answer is hopefully there. While we give Solomon credit for his wisdom, we also know that he had a weak spot for the very things he sings about today. Love. Women. He loved greatly. He loved deeply. And he loved many. As we know, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. But more importantly, his wives turned away his heart. So while you have this beautiful song between Solomon and one of his wives, we know that in the end it was his wives that turned away his heart, that turned away his heart from God. When we talk about any kind of advice when it comes to love, dating, or marriage, one thing we probably want to start with is don't be like Solomon. Don't pick somebody that's going to turn your heart away from the Lord. And also, more than one spouse is a big no. Now, while, while I didn't go in today thinking that I'm going to be standing here giving you all dating marriage advice or love advice, I do... I do know that Valentine's Day is coming up. Right? But having been married, married for only almost 15 years, I mean, I still have plenty of years to go to catch up to some of you who are in this room. So I'll turn instead, not to my words, but to the words of Paul, who lays out marriage in our New Testament reading by repeating God's words from Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, in a perfect world, this is the recipe for marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother, so he gains independence from them. He gets a job, he moves out of the house, or at least he moves into his parents' basement. 
starts paying rent. Again, perfect world, I know, all right? Many of you parents love your children. You love having them in your house. You also want them to grow up and to have that freedom from you. But only if they want to have that freedom from you, of course. Again, this is a recipe for marriage. We're not talking about the single life. Leave father and mother. Gain independence and hold fast to his wife. I mean, that word that we often use is cleave. So you leave and you cleave. And to cleave really means to stick like glue. So you unite yourself to your wife. This is the marriage. This is the marriage ceremony where you make your vows, your promises to all your family and friends and before God that you will commit the rest of your lives to one another. Hence, stuck like glue, never to be torn apart. And the two then shall become one flesh so that you're no longer two, but that you are one. We'll say that this is the wedding night. This is where you consummate your marriage. This is sex. God's perfect world. God's perfect order for marriage. Dating, marriage, then sex. And God willing, as he blesses Adam and Eve and puts it in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Dating, marriage, sex, children. Now, it's possible that some of you are sitting here in this room and have messed up that order, whether in the past or currently. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say, that's okay, you can try and do better next time. As if dating and marriage is like some test that you're going to take, and if you don't get it right the first time, you can redo it. Or that you can try and do better on the next test. I mean, for sex and marriage, we really get one chance to get it right. And unfortunately, if we don't get it right the first time, there's no redos. That you have become one flesh. You've become one flesh with that person, whether you stay together your entire life or not. And whether that happened before or after the wedding. But I'm also not going to stand here before you and say that I am perfect that I have never messed up in my marriage, that I have never messed up prior to my marriage, or that I've never sinned at any point in my life in thought, word, and deed, because I have. I am a poor, miserable sinner. And we all are. We have all fallen short of God's commands in some way. Whether it's dating, relationships, marriage. Whether it's loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or instead loving sports more than him. You know, if you haven't heard the Super Bowl is coming up today, right? You may find yourself listening more intently to the commercials or to the halftime show than you do to the Word of God. Or you focus more of your attention on seeing Taylor Swift than on seeing how God is at work in your life today. Whether it's loving our neighbors as ourselves or only loving those that we like. Because, you know, there are some people that are unlovable or they have treated me poorly and because they are always telling lies behind my back or to my face. Even though Jesus said, 
love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. No, I can't. Not at least that person. Whether it's honoring our father and mother, and instead we disrespect them, we disobey them and their rules. I mean, I know that we heard last week, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But let's be honest, we all know people who have departed from the faith teaching of their parents, whether it was us or our children. We have turned away from following God and have instead turned to themselves for the truth. We all have something, some sin. And as John says, and as we said it in our confession today, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we do not sin, that we don't need God's forgiveness, we are a liar. And God's word is not in us. But John continues, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all sin. And when we sin, we need God's forgiveness. And if we confess our sins, God forgives us. And he is able to give us forgiveness because of Jesus. So let's go back to marriage. None of us are perfect in our marriages. None of us are perfect outside of marriage. But the picture of marriage isn't just about us. The picture of marriage is about Christ and his church. In the New Testament reading of Ephesians, we have it laid out for wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, being made holy and perfect. But wives and husbands don't. They don't always submit. They don't always love sacrificially. And so too the church. That's us. We don't submit to Christ and his headship. We don't follow and serve him all the time. And so where we have failed to live up to God's standards for marriage, inside or outside of marriage, where we have failed to live our lives as God's people, as the church, as the bride of Christ, Christ became the perfect spouse for us. He loves the church, his people, more than any of us have loved our spouses. His love is perfect. His love is sacrificial. His love is unconditional. His love is for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, until death parts us. Today is the day that we remember the transfiguration of Christ where God says, this is my beloved son. You, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are the beloved of Christ. And his love for us is not like 
Cupid's arrow on Valentine's Day piercing your heart so that you love. This is Jesus going to the cross where he was pierced, but not with arrows, with nails through his hands and his feet. He was crowned not with love and glory, but with thorns and with mocking. And Jesus gave himself over to death for us. For us, his bride, his people. Because it was the only way that the relationship that we have broken with our bridegroom Christ because of our sin, it's the only way that this relationship can be fixed, can be mended, can be repaired, can be restored, can be forgiven, can be saved, is by him giving up his life for us. He died the death that we deserve for all of our sins. He took the hell that we should receive for our sins, and he suffered it for us. He laid down his life willingly, voluntarily, out of love for his bride, you, the church. And the symbol of love really shouldn't be a heart. It should be a cross. Because there is no greater love than the love that is shown to us on the cross. And he did it for us because he wants us to live in that eternal love with him in heaven. He died to cleanse us through the washing of water and the word. That's baptism. Where we are buried and raised with Christ. Where we are given the gift of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. He died to forgive us that same forgiveness that he gives us in the absolution, where those who confess their sins and believe are forgiven. He died to restore us, to save us, to carry us over the threshold of our new home, that being our home in heaven. And he accomplished it by carrying our sin, our death, and hell on the cross for us. And his resurrection from the dead shows that he is the perfect bridegroom for his bride and his love is made complete and that he will carry us into his heavenly house, each of us to our own room that he has prepared for us, where there is a marriage feast that has no end where we will celebrate the love that the bridegroom has for us for all eternity. And in that, there is no better ending. Till death parts us. But in Christ, it's his death that unites us. Where we will say forever, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our beloved. Amen.